A warm welcome to the Creative Places and Faces podcast, the podcast that explores places that help to inspire creativity. Some are local, some even formative, and others are far away and sometimes rather exotic. I'm Mike Payne, one of the Creative Places and Faces team. Let me introduce you to your host, Jackie DeBurka. Jackie is originally from Dublin, Ireland, but has spent a lot of time abroad, especially in Spain. She is the author of Salvador Dali at Home, creator of Travel Inspires, and the number one travel and tourism influencer, Q2 2020, according to Global Data. Over to you, Jackie. Today's guest is the acclaimed author, Jan Carson, from Ballymena in Northern Ireland. In 2019, Jan won the EU Prize for Literature for her second novel, The Firestarters, which is one of the best books I have ever read. Set in East Belfast, The Firestarters is a highly entertaining, exhilarating read that reveals an intimate understanding of human nature that has merged surreally yet successfully with fantasy. The book left me extremely curious about Jan's imagination, which will be one of a number of subjects that we'll be chatting about today. Thanks so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule, Jan, to join us. Thanks, Jackie. It's lovely to be here. Thank you, Jan. Now, let's jump in with what I feel is a crucial question, Jan. How would you describe your own imagination? Oh, gosh. Um, my my father will tell you it's overlapping and it's a bit out of control. He calls me a champion exaggerator. Um, but it's it's definitely healthy anyway. Um, I tend to, to see the world as it is and then put another layer on top of it all the time. Okay, that's an interesting, an interesting way to put it. So you grew up in Ballymena Town, Jan, which is around 27 miles north of Belfast. Was there anything from your childhood, you know, the life or environment that you feel might have triggered that overleaping imagination? Um, I think a couple of things were important for me growing up. First of all, quite obviously, was books. I was a really, really prolific reader. I used to get all of the library tickets from everyone in our family and go down to the Bellamina Library on a Wednesday night and take out as many books as I could get my hands on. So I had very quickly read through um, almost everything in the children's section and by the age of about eight had progressed on to, for some reason, crime fiction. <laughs> so I was diving into deep, quite deeply into Agatha Christie and Ruth Rendell and stuff at, at eight, which I don't know mm-hmm. how healthy that was. <laughs> um, and I think the, the other big factor for me was um, growing up in a quite conservative Presbyterian, rural Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a lot of times sitting in church, long church services, I'm quite bored having to mm-hmm. use my imagination to provoke things. And then also I think I, I, I'm very grateful that my primary storytelling language came from the Bible and particularly the things like the parables and the apocalyptic literature. Um, mm-hmm. My first memory of church was a two-year sermon series on the book of Revelation. Okay. So, you know, you can you can see where the magic realism comes from when you your first encounter with the Bible is the the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the mark of the base and <laughs> okay. all of that. Yeah. Okay. And what about Balamina as a place to grow up, Jan? How was that for you? Um, I guess it was it was grand whenever I was a young child. Um, you know, it's very safe. Um, John Hewitt in his poetry talks about the, the coasters in terms of m- like middle class Northern Irish people during the Troubles. And we definitely were coasters that passed us by for, for most of, of, thankfully, I'm very grateful for that. 
Um, I think as I grew, grew older, it became quite a difficult place. It is very conservative. Back in the, the 80s, it was very much Paisley Town still. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of legalism associated with kind of the Protestant community that I grew up in um, and not a lot of space for art or expression. So okay. the idea of being different from other people um, mm-hmm. was frowned upon. So I, I definitely find that as I moved into my teenage years, I find that really difficult. Okay, so quite restrictive from from how you've described it. Yeah, yeah, and just um, a sense of wariness about people who dress differently or think differently or question things. And I was definitely always a questioner. Mm -hmm. Um, Even within the church context, I was the one that was putting their hand up and saying, why, but why? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, In a quote, Jan, from an interview that you did with the Belfast Telegraph, you said about the actor Liam Neeson, I think Liam has an incredible presence about him. I know this is a cliche and something I probably won't get away with, also coming from Balamina, but there's something so grave and warm and wise about his voice. Is there something grave, warm and wise about Balamina and his people? Um, I don't know. I think maybe there, there, it's been interesting as I've kind of moved away from Balamina. I have found some of the outliers people like Liam Neeson and um, Kathy Brown, who runs the, the Seamus Heaney um, Centre down in Balakai. Mm-hmm. They are Balamina people, but from that artistic mould of questioning things. And mm-hmm. I think those people have a real, there's a, a gravity and a wisdom to, to what they're doing and what they're questioning, but they've also retained the, the stuff I love about Balamina, the sense of community and respect. And, um, and I kind of wish I had known some of those people Whenever I was the teenager, scuffing mm-hmm. around the tar center, looking for kindred spirits. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's understandable. So you said, Jan, uh, you used the phrase coasters um, in terms of the, ver- the very badly named Troubles. Did it affect, you know, you much in Balamina? Talk, talk us through how that was for you as a young person. I think it's always there. Um my church community was impacted by the Taban bomb. And I remember that as a child and just the, the feeling in the, the, the church family of loss and it's something that was on the TV suddenly coming very close to home. Mm-hmm. So that, that I remember and I, I remember the news being on and, and also more, I think it made us quite local. Um, you know, when I say like I wasn't, and the first time I was in Dublin, I was 18, okay. uh, which you know, people from England and stuff struggle to, to believe that. But, we, you know, there was a sense that it wasn't terribly safe to go over right. the border. Yeah. Um, and even going up to Belfast, like going to Belfast in the 80s for me felt like a real occasion. Um, and the wariness of seeing a, more of a strong presence of soldiers on the street and people checking your bags and the mm-hmm. checkpoints and Royal Avenue and things. It felt like a different world and mm-hmm. not as safe as Bellamina did. Yeah. Um, and I, I also, I mean, I, I have a really strong memory that I'm never, probably never going to shift of getting caught up in a bomb scare while <laughs> taking my swimming lesson in the, the Bellamina Seven Towers Leisure Centre um, on a very snowy night. Mm-hmm. And I was very little, I think it was five or six, and we had to get out of the pool and run down the road in our swimsuits in the through the snow and I remember being absolutely terrified that night oh god of course wow so 
Well, that's something I obviously I didn't I didn't know about. That's that's a very strong memory. I, I can imagine. I'm sure we were grand. I don't think there was any bomb at all, but just that sense of you know it, it coming closer to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you can watch things on the TV and know oh they're talking about places that I know and you know this is part of my history and my culture. But until it comes right up. Like close to you, you you don't have that same kind of visceral response to it. So mm-hmm. I think there was a moment of realization somewhere in upper primary school of oh, this is happening to my Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. not just Northern Ireland on the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So you mentioned earlier, Jan, uh, in terms of your imagination, that it was triggered to some extent by by the church parables and so on. Do you think? that having Belfast, you know, a little bit under 30 miles down the road and seeing what was happening on the news and also what you've just told about the bomb scare, do you think that in any way would have contributed to your very active imagination also? Um, I don't think so. Um, I guess, you know, I, I only came to write about Northern Ireland and think about it creatively quite late on. So, mm-hmm. Almost all of the things that I was engaged with creatively, because I didn't come to writing till I was 25, um, I actually was much, much more in, in, um, involved in the music scene in Belfast. Um, okay. Um, I, I did visual art for at school, so I was really interested in visual art as well for a long time. And it wasn't, this sounds awful, but I wasn't interested in Northern Ireland. I was looking to America and to London and to places outside of, of Ireland for my influences. Mm-hmm. So I, d- I don't think the troubles really was there present with me until much, much later when I mm-hmm. began to seriously un- unpick. Um, and some of that, and I'm kind of ashamed to say this, I went to a Protestant girls grammar school in Ballymena and we got taught no Irish history. So there was a real silence around the, mm-hmm. the history of both the past history and the more contemporary history mm-hmm. um, that it and I you know I had to go back and reteach myself a lot of that in my 20s because I mm-hmm. just had a huge gap so yeah. I don't even know if I could have articulated to you in my teens what the troubles was mm-hmm. okay yeah you're not the first person in this in this series of interviews Jan you're not the first person to have talked about that sort of school experience around history or history being sort of presented in a certain light that wasn't really, well, it was quite far removed or at least very simplified version of the truth. Yeah. And I think it's it's shocking in a way to have sat through, like I did history all the way up to A-level and into undergrad at Queen's and to have never encountered Irish history, but to know American history and Russian history inside out just seems mm-hmm. really, really strange to me. Yeah. So you studied history in Queen's? I did. For At Queen's, you have to do three subjects, or I don't know if you do now, but back then for your undergrad, you had to do three subjects for your first year. So I did um, a, a side of Byzantine studies mm-hmm. um, alongside social anthropology and English. Okay. Okay, definitely. So going back to before, you know, when you were still quite a young person, you're in Balamina. Did you head off with your family, Jan, at all on day trips or holidays to any environments that were, were really nice? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky. My daddy is a real country guy. Like he grew up in the countryside and was really, really keen for my brother and I and, and my mum as well to get out at the weekend and explore. So we were always heading off for what what in Balamini you call a wee run on the car. Would <laughs> um, um, usually be down the glens or around the north coast or um, forests and climbing Slamish and all sorts of things like that. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And then um, when I was six, my daddy lost his job and went back and retrained as a teacher. So he oh, then really? had he went he went from like never being at home until I was in bed to always being around and having very long summer holidays. And uh-huh. he liked to use the whole summer holiday. So we actually, we would usually go to France for a full month and camp. Wow. Um, and dad would drive the whole way down Scotland and the whole way down England. And then one summer, the entire way down France to the top of Spain. Really? So that, that was really good fun, getting out and experiencing different cultures. And um, and we'd also do, we've, I'm very, very fortunate as well. Like I know the, I know the, Britain, Scotland, England, Wales part of Britain really well because we were always holidaying there as well. Mm-hmm. So I've been all over every flipping Victorian seaside resort in England. The Carsons <laughs> have been there for a okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's that's quite formative in terms in terms of uh, the amount of travelling you you yourself have done over the years afterwards. You know, yeah, never, but bizarrely, not never on planes. Don't know if they were um, aware of their carbon footprint or what it was, but um, we didn't do the continental holiday thing, really. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we got in the car and we explored. And I guess to some extent, they were quite cheap, low budget holidays. Like we quite often be camping or staying in a bay at bay. Um, My dad had a wee gas stove thing that he'd take and would make potatoes and bacon or whatever by the side of the road. But they're really lovely childhood memories of being free to explore the Yorkshire Dales or, you know, learning to swim in Landudno or whatever it was. It was great. Fantastic. So are you one of many children or what, what, what is the family set up, Jan? Well, um, there's just me and my younger but much more mature brother who okay. is <laughs> three and a half years younger than me. Um, okay. He's, We've always been the mature influence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So your your uh, obviously great holidays abroad, great adventures. As you were growing up, you, you mentioned that you were going to the library every Wednesday. Were there uh, family members or school teachers who played a prominent role in encouraging your creativity, your writing, and so on? Um. Not really. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I had um, I had when I got to A level I had two fantastic English teachers at A level that were really really brought me on um Mrs. Finlay and Mr. Knox and they both really instilled uh, uh, particularly Mr. Knox made me fall in love with Wuthering Heights and that destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Um so that that at that point yes but not un- until then. Um I've I've realized it recently like my dad is a great reader but he's mm-hmm. a all crime fiction so he absolutely loves crime fiction books and I realized actually at this weekend I went up to see them and we watched there's a program on called the nation's favorite tv detective mm-hmm. and I realized just how much of my bonding over the years with dad has been over Morse and Poirot okay. and Tiger and and he would read all the books and I would read them too and we'd chat about them so not uh-huh. so much the literary fiction thing and 
um, definitely no interest in poetry or theatre, but he does love his crime fiction and he would always would have a book in his hand on holidays. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think there's a wee bit there, but there's almost no creativity in my family. They're all engineers. Okay. Um, that's interesting. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it? And not even if you were to skip back, like even one generation, Jan, would there be any sort of artistic flair? No. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I just don't really know where I came from. Like, uh, daddy taught engineering and, um, his dad was an engineer working on the, the railways. Uh-huh. And, um, my grandparents on the other side were businessmen, so um, they're all very logical, mathematical. My brother, he did his master's in engineering, um, so there's there's no. I mean, you could, there is a creativity to engineering, but of course there is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's not normally lumped in with the creative arts as such, is it? No, no I don't know where it came from. Um, That's interesting. Not there anywhere. That's really interesting. So I'm guessing going back to what you said, Jan, about Balamina and then starting to feel, you know, different and all of that type of stuff. So you also had that with your family in so far as your creativity starting to bud. Um, yeah. and not- I mean, I, I think they've always been they've always been reasonably supportive. And I think they've known from quite young on that I'm a bit different and wired a wee bit different and mm-hmm. um encouraged that and I think as well there is a thing around book learning still you know that you do well in school and they you know they're you're reasonably intelligent and that's all something to to be proud of kind of Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. um but not the you know we would never have been one of these families that had furious discussions about Jane Austen round the dining room table (laughs) okay yeah Um, I sometimes do get quite jealous of of families where there is a real rich theme of creativity. Um, But I also love them. Like my family keeps me really grounded. You know, they'll they'll constantly ask. Even my, I've got a wonderful relationship with my niece and nephew who are 12 and 10. Uh-huh. And my nephew will constantly ask, what are you writing this week, Auntie Dan? What, what's it about? And I'll tell him, they'll say, that doesn't sound very good. I wouldn't be interested okay. in that. And he's great. He just keeps you on your toes all the time. <laughs> okay. That's, that's funny. It's, it's, uh, it's just interesting. I'm, I'm fresh with your unfortunate children of, uh, Belfast in my mind. Yeah. And I'm just sort of wondering, I'm wondering in a way, was that feeling of being different? Did, did that have anything to do with your inspiration for bringing that into to the book? Um, I think so. I think particularly there's a one of the unfortunate children in the Firestarters has got wings, and her parents keep pushing her off high things to get her mm-hmm. to fly, even though she yeah. can't. And not so much me. It was more of an observation because that that kind of sense was endemic around the community. Like I had other friends that were trying to do things their their parents didn't understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that sense of you know, in Balamina where I grew up, and this will is a bit of a generalisation, but there was an expectation that if you were like me and you liked books, you would go to university, become a teacher, mm-hmm. and move back to Ballymena and get a bungalow and teach. 
yeah. yeah. Not that you know, would go and do an English degree and then decide to write, write mad books. Yeah. Um, and and so I there is a sense of sometimes of and you have to understand as well like um like my family's slightly different because my dad did go to university but for most of my friends they were the first generation to come out of of Palomina to go to university mm-hmm, and they went mm-hmm. off and saw things and experienced things that their parents generation just hadn't and when mm-hmm. they came back there was a disconnect yeah, yeah, of course. I don't, I don't think we talk about that enough in Northern Ireland. Like, I was born in 1980, and definitely everyone from about 75 on for about 10 years, they were experiencing some of that disconnect because not only did they get to go to university, but they're also the generation that experienced cheap travel and mm-hmm. experienced the internet for the first mm-hmm. time. So you have a wealth of experience that the previous generation didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it it makes sense to me that it would be hard for your parents to understand you because we've seen things and experienced things they didn't experience. Yeah. Definitely. So how were your student days? Because you you went, uh, if I did my calculations correct, Jan, you went aged eighteen to Queens, didn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of wasted my undergrad, um, and I didn't waste it in the way you're supposed to waste your university time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was really miserable for three years. Um, oh, were you? Going through that awkward, who am I? What, what, uh-huh. what am I doing in life? Um, I just, I really wish I could go back and do my undergrad again, particularly mm-hmm. because there were, I, I got a lot of the last um, professors and um, teachers at Queen's before there was a new intake. And so I had people like Edna Longley and Michael Allen teaching me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate what I was sitting under. Um, yeah. And I wish, I wish I'd gone back and done it again. Um, <clears throat> I'm very involved in the writing community here in Belfast, and I see the new intake of undergrads coming in, go into every reading and every discussion. And I think, why, why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just did the bare minimum and then went home to cry. Right. That's that's so un- it's so unfortunate. But I think I mean I went I studied history in Trinity and I went age seventeen and uh, I didn't I didn't make exactly like yourself, Jan. I didn't make the best out of it at all. You know, it was a huge culture shock for me coming from a very conservative, almost entirely church community that there was very little in our life except church mm-hmm. to this whole world of you know, students and student life and, you know, I didn't drink. I was scared of pubs. I didn't mm-hmm. know how to socialise with people who were different from me. And um, that took a while and there was a culture shock thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I wish I could go back and do it again because what a gift doing three years of English at, at Queen's with all of those amazing thinkers would be. Of course. Yeah, of course. So what what happened then? You, you you had those three years. Did you come out the other end of those feeling? Was there a shift, Jan? What happened? Um, I, <laughs> this is a desperately depressing story, Jackie. Sorry. Oh, okay, go on. Uh, I, I came out of that and I worked for the Presbyterian Church for four years. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> um, it was more of a retreat back into, oh, what's safe? I'll go there. But I will say... I think that four years was probably the most 
so far anyway, it was probably the most difficult four years of my life because there was something in me fracturing and coming into my own and learning who I was and that, you know, faith is still an important part of my life, but it doesn't mm-hmm. look like it, the, the faith of my childhood. And it certainly doesn't look like a very tight legalistic Presbyterian faith. Mm-hmm. But that, that four years was very important for me in challenging some of those things and thinking through it and asking questions. And at the same time, I was beginning to meet lots of other people to start moving out into the music scene and the art scene and finding kind of kindred spirits there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but still then kind of running back and feeling guilty <laughs> about okay. it all. Well. So, well, I mean, I mean it, sounds, it sounds from your description, Jan, like such a a very strong church background, such huge contrasts, yeah. you know, at such a young age, really, you know? Yeah, it's, 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 it was quite, quite all consuming. And, um, it's, I have so much patience for people who have, who have been brought up with ideas and concepts and things that are, are countercultural to how, you know, you're supposed to see the world now, because it is not easy from, moving from you know seeing the entire world and everything in it through one lens to try mm-hmm. to change your opinion it doesn't happen overnight there has to be this wrestling difficult period where you're challenging things and you're questioning you know why do I, I think that about this issue and mm-hmm. learning what to hold on to and what to get rid of mm-hmm. um, and I think sometimes we expect too much of people we think you know you can move from thinking this way about an issue to this way overnight, it, it doesn't yeah. work like that. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm quite grateful. Though it was a very hard period, I'm grateful that I had space to move through it. And there were some amazing people who walked through that period with me. My, my brother, for example, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, other people who are still in my life now who, who came into that and allowed me to think through and question and were very gracious with me. Luckily, this is not a party political broadcast. It is a short announcement to mention our sponsor. This episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast is sponsored by Property Insurance Center. Property Insurance Center's sponsorship helps to support the local economy by promoting not only local writers, artists, and craftspeople, but also entities involved in travel, tourism, and hospitality. This first series of the Creative Places and Faces podcast has an exciting lineup of guests, including Jan Carson, Henry McDonald, Ann Smith, Malachi O'Doherty, Andrea Spencer, Helen Sharkey, Emma Thorpe, and many others. Today's sponsor, Property Insurance Center, specializes in commercial and residential property insurance and all types of business insurance. Originally established in 1976, This family insurance brokerage has served thousands of businesses and families just like you over the decades. To discover more or become a sponsor, click on the sponsorship link below this podcast. And now back to you, Jackie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and tell me a little bit about your involvement in the music scene, John. Um, I just would have, uh, um, I I (laughs) helped to run a little um, venue at Queen's that did spoken word and some singer songwriter stuff, which I really loved doing that. Um, and I would have been had been friends with a lot of folks that were in bands. And um, my brother and I had a really beat up car, so <laughs> he 
ended up being the people who drove amps and speakers and things to gigs, which okay. I, I really enjoyed. I've always enjoyed music and I love I, I love being around creative people and I still do. Mm-hmm. Like I don't necessarily have to just be around writers. I love mm-hmm. being around filmmakers and musicians and visual artists um, and talking about the process of, of creativity. So yeah. I think I've always been drawn to those people and I, I loved being in that community. It was one of the things that kept me sane and healthy through that period. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me something. You, you mentioned uh, that you left Belfast age 25 out of pure frustration. What happened yeah. uh, to make you feel like that, Jan? Um, I think so, most of it is probably me. Like I need, knew I needed to draw a line and be somewhere where um, people didn't know who you were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's something about the physical geography of Northern Ireland, but also the kind of psychology of it. Because it's so small, you can never get away from your parents or mm-hmm. your extended family or your neighbours. It's that thing that we love where you say, you know, within 30 seconds of meeting somebody, you'll realize you've got mutual friends. That mm-hmm. can also be really claustrophobic. Yeah, and of course. I, yeah. I knew within me, I was beginning to become more artistic and to challenge and think about things. And I wanted to be in a clean space that I could mm-hmm. do that. Um, okay. So that that's what I, I, I left. It, it wasn't so much the, the troubles or, you know, the, the politics of the place it was more I need to breathe a wee bit for a yeah. while yeah that's understandable so you went off to Portland Oregon why did you choose yeah. Portland out of curiosity what drew you there I ended up there by accident so I actually thought I was going to Portland me and I didn't realize there was two Portland <laughs> okay. um, so I wanted to um, I, I wanted to explore the two sides of myself because um, faith was still really important to me, but art was becoming increasingly important. And mm-hmm. so I was I looked for um, a role somewhere that I could have both because um, I'd been working in churches up to that point. And there, mm-hmm. there are a number of places in the, the bigger churches across the world that have a designated arts pastor role. Mm-hmm. Um, where and get you know the the it's it's looking at, at where theology and creativity intersect, and so okay. I just sent out, I sent out my CV to every single one I could find, and um the a, a large large church in Portland were the first people that got back and they initially offered me a paid internship and then it transferred into a job after about a year, so mm-hmm. I went out there knowing absolutely no one. Um, just to try and start again. <laughs> okay. And how, how how was how was Portland for you? Talk 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 to me about the environment, oh, the experience there. It was the maddest culture shock, and it was wonderful. Oh. I'd spent mm-hmm. the summer before um, working as a secretary in the offices of the, the Presbyterian Church, like the head offices. So I went from mm-hmm. that to about three days later sitting on a bus with every kind of diversity and every kind of craziness that you can think of going on around me and uh, Portland in 2005 was just a super alive vibrant city it's become a bit of a a cliche of itself recently Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think just there's a, a lot of what we would we would have called yipsters kind of a cross between yuppies and hipsters have moved in Try, trying to look arty, but they want kind of 
they, they want the nice lifestyle as well. But back then, it was just there were film directors everywhere, there were writers everywhere, there were musicians everywhere. We went to see different bands every night of the week. Wow. Uh, we went to Poyle's Bookstore, which is the world's largest independent bookstore, and just saw whatever writer was coming through. There was a writer mm-hmm. reading every night for free. So, you know, you'd be down there watching Patti Smith or Salman Rushdie or Jonathan Safran Foer or Douglas Copeland. And um, I just loved that. I'd never had anything like that in Belfast. And it was amazing. Wow. It does. It seems like you couldn't have ended up in a better environment for that particular stage of your life. No. And I think as well, like the church community out there was really progressive. So really open minded, quite liberal, really safe and supportive but just absolutely shot through with art as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd, we'd people within our community who were um, one of my, my good friends is a, a camera woman for Tarantino. We had mm-hmm. people like the New York Times bestsellers list and huge graphic designers. And I loved that you could have a vibrant faith and be completely sold out for your art and creativity as well. Well, it's fantastic. So just uh, moving towards the stage, Jan, where you've returned home from Portland and you wrote your first novel, uh, Malcolm Orange Disappears, which was published to great acclaim in 2014. How did the environment that you'd left behind, how did that trigger this first novel? Um, so I, I didn't want to leave Portland. My work phase ran out and I got oh, okay. chucked back home and not even to Belfast. I ended up spending the first, most of the first year back at home in my parents' spare bedroom in Bellamina, mm-hmm. um, which was horrific. Like I literally went from, I interviewed Bonnie Vare one Thursday and the next Thursday I started work in a Yankee candle shop in the tar center in Bellamina. Oh, okay. Talk the other way was crazy. And I worked in a gift shop for about nine, ten months, gift wrapping candles. Um, wow. And it, there was nothing in my life. Like while I'd been away, all of my friends from Belfast had moved on and, um, you know, settled down, bought houses, got sensible jobs. I was back mm. living with my dad. Um, and at night, the only place that was open in Balamina to write was the cafe in Tesco's. So mm. I would drive to the cafe in Tesco's and start writing this novel, which became Malcolm, which is all set in mm. Portland. And it was kind of, I don't want to be here, so I'm going to write about the place <laughs> that I want to be. <laughs> uh, so that, that's where that came from. And I, I did, I chipped away at it for years and years. It took me a long time to write it. I think it began in, in 2009 and it finally got published in 2014. Okay. Okay. God. And did you, did, did, when you say it took that long to write, were you writing for most of that time or were you approaching publishing houses? Um, writing and revising and I didn't know mm-hmm. how to write a book like I've mm-hmm. I have never once in my entire life done a class on how to write so I was mm-hmm. just making it up um and so at one point I think it was 200,000 words long really <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow um just um so there was a lot of editing and I, I was also I was writing quite a few short stories so I actually wrote my first short story collection at this in that same period uh-huh. Um, okay. I would have 
dabbled in the short stories as well at the same time. And I was knackered mm-hmm. as well. Like, um, I tell you what, like, I think everybody should work retail or, or bar work at some stage in their life because it, it's so exhausting, but you also learn so much about human beings. You do. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a, it was a really good experience for me to do that for a year. Yeah, it is. No, it is. And so when, when did you move on to Belfast? When did you leave Badamina and go to Belfast um, uh, at that stage? I, so 2009, I lived with my folks and then I had a, a, <laughs> a terrified scamper back into church work for about nine months where I okay. moved to Hertfordshire. <laughs> Really? So, okay. Yeah, I lived in Rickmansworth in Hertfordshire for nine months mm-hmm. and I literally was about 30 seconds in the job and was like, what am I doing here? This is a big mistake. So I had mm-hmm. it in my notes after three months and worked six months to pass it on to the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that was there. And then I came back and I got a job in the Ulster Hall as a um, community arts officer, which is... Okay. Um, the big Victorian music hall in, in Belfast mm-hmm. and I loved that job it just was the absolute best job I think I ever had in the community and the team and it was such it was such a, a freeing thing after years and years and years of working in churches to just be able to breathe a little bit yeah <laughs> and uh, so how how long were you working there when, around that stage Jan wasn't it that you started to live in East Belfast yeah, I um, sort of moved around lots of divey houses for a while and I ended up settling over in East Belfast. Um, I worked in the Ulster Hall from um, 2010 through to 2017, really. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a long, six and a half years, I think it was, um, in different different um, formats and different variations of the job, but all community arts engagements. Um, mm-hmm. And at, at the same time, I, I also completed a, a master's in St. Andrews, um, long distance. So I was kind of scuttling backwards and forwards there as well. And I wrote a couple more books. So it was a busy, busy time, but really full of just really sort of grinding myself in the literary community in Belfast. Mm-hmm. It became very apparent from day one at the Ulster Hall that they wanted to have um, a literary input to the the outreach work they did because there's such a legacy of writers um, involved in the Ulster Hall. Like Dickens has read there and Arthur Conan Doyle and all sorts of like our own Northern Irish writers. So they wanted to celebrate that. And that was my ticket into making contact with a lot of the other writers, contemporary writers in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved that. Just like it felt like coming home kind of thing. <laughs> Okay. Now, in various interviews, Jan, you've described yourself as an overachiever and the, the amount of energy that comes through, you know, when you speak about the, obviously the work you've done and your writing in the middle of diff- the, the different jobs you've been doing. Do you feel you're an overachiever because you feel a responsibility towards what you do? And I'm, I'm referring to both the, the arts and the community work and your writing. Um, yes, I think with the community stuff, it's there's a part of it is responsibility. At worst, it becomes guilt, and nobody should be operating from a position of guilt. Um, and yeah. I'm trying to work on that at the minute, but mostly, I think it's a responsibility and a, a sense of wanting to do it really well. Like I, I believe that um, the people I work with deserve 
something really good and it annoys mm-hmm. me no end when I see community art that feels like like lowest common denominator kind of provision I want mm-hmm. I want people who are in my projects and my workshops and things to come away shocked by how, what they've achieved because mm-hmm. I think they are capable of that so there is there's that sense of like I want to give some people something really special um mm-hmm. I'll also be really honest and I'd say I have absolutely no capacity for boredom. So okay. <laughs> most of it, the things that look like excessive productivity are just me going, I can't sit still. What am I going to do now? Well, I don't know. Uh-huh. I've got another idea. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Yeah. I just, I'm not good. I don't understand boredom. I don't understand sitting in front of a TV at night, just mm-hmm. in my TV. Um, I'd rather be creating or thinking or scheming or whatever it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> you mentioned, Jan, obviously the distance course in St. Andrews. That was a master's, wasn't it, in theology yeah. and contemporary culture. So yeah. from what you've just said now, that, that seems like quite of a logical choice. You were bringing in your very, very solid church background, both from your childhood and obviously your work life. Yeah. Uh, and, and mixing that obviously with contemporary culture talk, talk to us a little bit about that the actual masters and the environment because you did go over there fairly frequently yeah. as well to St Andrews didn't you I was so fortunate I fell in so in my year group there were about 10 people doing the masters in in theology and contemporary culture and they are they were just wonderful people like from such a range of experiences and, and life backgrounds and we all got on like a house on fire so mm-hmm. after our first week together we and um, for the rest of the four sessions we went over we would always hire out a big house and all live together for the week um, and spent most of our times after classes in the pubs furiously arguing and debating and thinking <laughs> and uh, it was also it was a little bit like being in Portland like to have this group of people around me who faith was important to them but ideas mm-hmm. and um, thought and art and creativity was also incredibly important and like some of those people are still my dearest friends and they're all ages and all they're all over the place but we still Mm -hmm. try to meet up every so often Um, and the course itself is just wonderful St Andrews is it's just it's a gorgeous space to be doing Mm -hmm. university in it's got the the theology department is it looks like something out of Harry Potter it's wonderful but we, (laughs) we also had wonderful professors who were provocative but respectful Mm -hmm. So they would throw ideas out that people didn't agree with and provoke cr- critical thought and challenge things, but you always felt safe. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Like, you know, theology can become a real space where people destroy each other. Um, of course, yeah. I, I love that, you know, one of the things that they were very clear on is, you know, you can have completely different theological ideas from someone, but we must leave this space respecting each other. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. we all did. Yeah, so important, obviously. Now, another uh, place that you've been spending time in over the last four years um, is Karmoy, which is in Norway, and yeah. it's an island. <laughs> you've mentioned also there that you've you've been you know working with uh, within the high schools, and you've built you know quite also another community of people around you there. And this has all been part of the Creative U- Europe writing program. Why do you love this place and the people and your experiences there so much, Jan? 
Um, so this came out of I was at the West Cork Literary Festival in Bantry um, about four years ago and I got chatting to, to an older couple at the bar and they were Norwegians, mm-hmm. Odd Henning and Hildreden. And we got on like on fire and they said, you'll have to come and stay with us. And little did I know that like Odd Henning runs this Creative Europe project for a huge chunk of Norway. So that Mm -hmm. was me signed up for life at that point. Um, (laughs) And I've been going out for about a week to 10 days once a year, every year now for four years. And I just love it. The students are amazing. Um, the the troubles is on their history curriculum at what would be GCSE level, and so mm-hmm. I work with them, responding creatively to the themes created by the troubles and the literature around the troubles. Okay. And the young people are just they're so intelligent and so articulate, and I think as well there's a huge amount of compassion and wisdom to the way they mm-hmm. approach their thinking. It, it it's part of the Norwegian way of life uh, they treat their children with an enormous amount of maturity and they expect maturity from them and um, okay. so I, I love working with them we write stories mm-hmm. together and we read together and we discuss and I get to work with the teachers and train them up on how to use creative writing within the classroom mm-hmm. and um, I think that that openness um I've, I've done an, an, a little bit of schools work in Northern Ireland and I've always found it reasonably restrictive you know it's so tight to the curriculum here um, of course whereas they, they just seem to trust their young people so a huge part of last year was watching Dairy Girls and responding to Dairy Girls really? and can um, they understand the accents uh, well we did have to put the subtitles on sometimes okay. <laughs> but, um, we love it and they're able to draw parallels between um, things like you know Norway, like we always hear about Scandinavia being a utopia, but there has been issues with rising fascism and issues around kind of intolerance of people coming from other places to live in Norway. And Mm -hmm. the kids are really quick to pick out, you know, here's something from your background we could learn and apply to what it's like to be here in Norway at the minute. Okay, Um, I'm always really passionate about places learning from each other's experiences Um, Mm -hmm. and I I guess it's it's one of the things that really saddens me about the EU and and Brexit Um, it's been such a joy to get to know writers from other places with a background of conflict and to Mm -hmm. see you know what they've learned from their situation and how it might apply to us As Jackie just couldn't stop asking questions this interview has been split into a few episodes Be sure to check out the next one. The link is below. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Places and Faces podcast. If you would like to apply to be a guest or a sponsor, be sure to check out the links below the podcast. Until next time, from all of us here, take care, stay safe, and be creative.